Hey, it's Adam here, and I want to tell you where you can get more free sex and how you can support the podcast. I'm building a kind of hub for the project on Substack. It's just freesex.substack.com. I'm publishing transcripts for all episodes there for free and occasional writings about free sex for subscribers only. Plus, you can interact with me and stuff like that. To make this podcast, I'm relying on contributions from listeners. My indie podcast company, Artnell, has invested in getting it going, and I'm paying my guests. But the only way I can fund it from now is with support from people like you, who subscribe at freesex.substack.com. Or you can just continue listening to the podcast for free and using the transcripts on the Substack if you need them. Thanks for joining me as we edge ever closer to a world of free sex. What does free sex mean to you? Do you ever think you'd have more sex or better sex if only you could change one thing? What is that thing? I'm Adam Smith, a writer, podcast producer, walker, talker, thinker, wanker. (laughs) I started having sex at 29. 29! And I've been obsessed ever since. Now I'm on a mission to find out how, as a society, we hold each other back in sex. What could a world of free sex look like? For me, free sex is a world with more places to fuck and without sexually transmitted infections. How about you? What are you into? Every episode, I speak to a different human with a unique idea for what free sex could mean. This podcast is fully pansexual and gender fluid. From mild to wild, everyone is welcome. Let's go. My guest in this episode is Rosie Wilby. It's hard for me to think of someone who's more interested in the question I'm asking in this podcast than Rosie is. She's a comedian, a speaker, a podcaster, and the author of two books, The Breakup Monologues and Is Monogamy Dead? (laughs) Rosie's funny and smart, and she always has a good story for me. Rosie Wilby, thank you very much for joining me. Welcome to Free Sex. Well, I, anything with free sex in the title <laughs> always um, engages one's attention. <laughs> it's not um, free very much anymore. No, exactly. Well, let's talk about it. So what does free sex mean to you? Well, I, I use the words anymore then slightly in jest, but I do ah. think that when I arrived in in London as a young lesbian uh, in the 1990s, sort of early Mm -hmm. to mid 1990s, Mm -hmm. I felt like sex was freer, partly perhaps because of the time period in my life when I was in my early 20s. And we do have more sort of short term relationships then um, and we don't necessarily get into the longer term committed attachments that we 
perhaps seek a little bit later. I mean, although, yeah. of course, many people do have committed relationships from that point. But I think um, in between some longer relationships, I had probably my only experiences of casual sex, really, in that <laughs> sort of in, certainly in my 20s and 30s, not so much in my in my 40s. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was partly there. But I also think the queer community had this flavour of freedom about it. Okay. Before we could engage with the sort of traditional norms, the traditional structures of marriage and having the nuclear family, having biological families, having our own children very easily. Oh yeah, because anyway. those things those things as as rights, legal rights, like the right to marry came later. So you're saying that before those things were possible as rights, by definition there was more yeah i think (laughs) when you are excluded from something what you what you do find yourself doing and what i think certainly uh queer people before me had paved the way for very effectively the glf and so on was reinventing yeah how to think about family and community and sex and love and relationships and connection and i think as i found a little bit as I've delved more recently into the sort of poly community, I found this very different way of thinking about mm-hmm. love, relationships and sex, which isn't all mm-hmm. about this one narrative, about monogamy, about just finding this one person forever for life. And that does feel, I think, unless you actively choose it and sort of redefine monogamy in the way that I have done more recently, it mm-hmm. does feel limiting and it does feel in some ways like it restricts that that sort of freedom so I had Mm. straight friends in that period in my life who I think felt less liberated particularly you know young straight women who had all these Mm -hmm. social pressures expectations you know when are you going to get a boyfriend then when are you going to get married then when are you going to have children Um, and there are these sort of life stages that I think in particular women still are but even more so then were expected to move through quite quickly as if sort of your greatest achievement would be bagging a man (laughs) (laughs) so if you take me back to the early 90s and you're a 20 something lesbian arriving into London and you're meeting um, other lesbians for friendship for relationships sex whatever and there's also these straight women whose lives are kind of in parallel you're saying that that you and the other lesbians were having freer sex than like than those other than those straight women basically because they were kind of a bit hamstrung by these social expectations i i believe so that's a really good way of putting it um and i also think um and this isn't you know 100 percent true but i think having sex with women felt potentially safer as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, straight women who are having casual sex with men may not know what, you know, what what they're getting into, particularly if you meet people (laughs) online and so on, which I guess my straight friends weren't doing so much yet then. Um, But, I mean, I sort of felt pretty confident back then, you know, meeting people for sort of one one night stands i mean it wasn't something i did regularly but i remember before there was really the internet and stuff people yeah. used to advertise in the pink paper 
um yeah. you know for dates relationships whatever and yeah there was a woman who who wanted to have a one night stand and so i ended up contacting her although of course the problem with the small lesbian community in london is that you're supposed to just have a one night stand and not see each other again and sort of disappear in a mysterious right. puff of smoke but you end up getting the same bus and seeing them all the time <laughs> and then <laughs> it's just or seeing them awkward. in the club or something yeah yeah, yeah. you see them on, on the another night bus which was the yeah one when you're with stand. someone else <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, why is the 73 bus the lesbian bus well it used to go to stoke newington and that's uh-huh. that's where all the lesbians lived Gotcha. Gotcha. Tell me a bit more about how you found people to have sex with in that era of relatively free or freer sex that you were having in the 90s. Um, So there's ads in the pink paper is one thing. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And I, I guess there was a real emphasis on bars and clubs and those social spaces a lot of queer women's spaces have closed Mm -hmm. down a lot of queer spaces in general but there used to be a really lovely friendly space called first out which Uh, was a real haunt of mine because it was a cafe right yeah you could go and have a coffee and read your copy of the pink paper and in fact um now london night czar amy lemay used to um serve behind the bar there and right. so i remember um saying hi to her a lot and she i thought always thought she was really fun and cool um but even though it it was quite sort of relaxed and and just a cafe vibe on a friday night there was a bit more of a sort of slightly clubby feel or pre-clubby feel on a friday evening um, where people would go and have a few drinks before perhaps going on to another club so i do remember meeting people there on a friday night and Mm. yeah you know having one or two drinks and um Yeah. yeah then go on somewhere um pop stars was um like a sort of indie club night where yeah people were sort of you know there was a lot of sort of before we really had the language, there was a lot mm-hmm. of sort of gender bending and, yeah. you know, there were sort of people presenting outside of the sort of of the norms. And, you know, I think um, there was a lot of sort of fluidity and a lot of expression. And do you and think that present, do you think that those people presenting in that way then were also somewhat freer like having sex that was freer because again that was another social expectation that they were not conforming to you know not just marrying and having kids but in this case like looking like quote-unquote what a woman should look like or something like that if they're presenting their gender in different ways that does that did that feel like freer sex do you think i mean yeah possibly um you know, it's it's tricky to talk from the experience of, of other people because I don't want to sort yeah, of, of speak for them. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's it's a strange one because when I was meeting people who now probably would define as trans or non-binary, yeah. um, I think in many ways they experienced less problems than, than maybe trans and non-binary mm. people do now because... Yeah when you don't quite have the language yet, you don't also don't 
have maybe the hateful language either. Yeah. Um, so there was a sort of freedom and acceptance in all of these spaces. I, I certainly yeah. thought so. And But, yeah. I, you know, I could be wrong. There could be people who did have negative experiences at that time. And I yeah. just don't know and about I'm, it. And I'm wondering about, because you're reflecting back on that period in your life when you said that you think that there was freer sex possible um, between lesbians and maybe queer women because of the the social expectations were different because you couldn't get married. And for the most part, you know, you couldn't adopt kids and you, you know, there wasn't so much lesbian visibility. Um, not that there's tons of it now <laughs> at all, but like, you know, because things have changed. So I'm thinking you're looking back at that. And what I always ask people and want to know is when you're looking back at that and you're saying basically things were better, how much of that is just it is to do with the fact that society has changed um, and how much of it is just to do with, but you were in a different phase of your life then. And, you know, you were more open to having more sex because you were in your twenties and that's a thing that people do. How do you know whether, which of those, it's probably both, but how do you know which of those it is? I think it probably is a bit of both. Um, How can it not be? But I also think that, Uh, since I've started studying sex and relationships and all the sort of data and studies, I mean, some of these studies are a bit daft, um, you know, and they're sponsored by, you know, companies that make beds that want to sell more beds or something and (laughs) tell you that couples prefer to sleep separately or whatever. Um, (laughs) But, you know, we are hearing time and time again that people in general are having less sex. Yeah. So basically people in their 20s now compared to people in their 20s in the 90s, in the in the early 90s, which is when you're talking about basically the same demographic of person, there is less sex happening. I think so. That's what you're finding. There's just so much um, to distract us, really. There was less to do in the 1990s. (laughs) You could send somebody a fax, maybe. (laughs) I mean, that that meant it was harder to meet people. Um, Yeah. But I think also... You kind of just sort of, you know, when you met someone nice in a club, perhaps because it felt like there were less options maybe on Tinder or all the apps you've got now, you just thought, oh, well, let's, you know, let's Let's go for it. it." You know, she seems (laughs) all right. (laughs) You know, but whereas I think now, certainly in the times when I have been single in more recent years and I've gone on the apps, I feel overwhelmed by the, the choices. So it sort of makes us less happy with one in in a way i mean certainly a lot of experts point to that sort of you know the paradox of choice and how that that makes us less less satisfied and less happy so i think it was freer also what i loved um as someone who can be a bit introverted and socially awkward Mm -hmm. um which is strangely a demographic that often does end up doing extreme things like I know I was gonna say like like being a comedian (laughs) how are comedians always introverts well they are because (laughs) I don't think of you as an introvert but I understand yeah Yeah, I I think comedians sort of look for some way of um having some kind of control over the conversation Mm -hmm. um yeah which which we don't always feel we have at some kind of rowdy party so um Yet what was really interesting at that time was it was quite normal or seen as normal in inverted commas in the queer scene, particularly in queer female circles, to 
sort of have a bit of a fling or a one night stand as a precursor uh-huh. to a great friendship. Uh-huh. And so right. it, it was almost the perfect icebreaker. So I still think now as a, you know, middle-aged woman, it's really hard to make new friends, to make friends yeah. in life. And in a way, sex was the way to do that in that yeah. community. Would you like to make friends now through having sex with them? Um yeah, I think I would be open to that, but I'm in a I'm in a monogamous marriage. So right. it would be against the okay. rules. I mean, right, my wife yeah. and I we you know, we have quite interesting and open discussions about all this stuff, yeah. but yeah. um you know, largely speaking, we are sexually exclusive. I think, yeah. you know, I never sort of, never say never, you know, I think... We... I was going to say, hang on a minute, you said largely speaking. No, I mean... <laughs> we don't need to go into this, but... <laughs> no, I mean, no, we are sexually exclusive. Yeah. I suppose yeah, yeah. what I mean is, is um, emotionally, you can yeah. fancy other people. And, and some yeah. people, when they say they're monogamous, they literally mean that... that you know, they they would freak out if their partner thought about somebody else or had a fantasy or yeah. texted somebody else in a yeah. flirty manner. <laughs> and you're and you're not allowed to talk about it. That's the thing that I think can be quite yeah. like scary and jarring for people. Yeah, Whereas yeah. it sounds we like talk about you it. and your wife, you talk about it. Yeah, we yeah. talk about stuff like that. So yeah. Um I think that's interesting what you said though about like a you remember a lot of um the people that you were around with making friendships through having sex where I guess you don't know that it's going to become a friendship because I think of that's something that I I know is um, I know is common in the gay male community now and I would include myself in that and I know that a lot of my friends are people that I've had sex with um, and don't anymore and uh, and I've and I know that that's something that generally people talk about I haven't heard like um, queer women or lesbians say that. Um, I've heard them say that that's not what lesbians do, but I haven't heard someone say that that is what we used to do or that there was a peer or that there was a, you know, you were someone like you who was like in a group of people, you knew other people that were doing that. So I I think that's interesting. I wonder if that is something that has also changed specifically for young lesbians now, whether there's, I don't know, and why that might be. Why do you think that might be if that has changed? Um, Yeah, well, that's that's interesting isn't it um and i do think in general we've seen a trend as we have access to the rights we spoke about earlier on i think we see a trend where lgbtq plus people are trending a bit more towards what we would have seen as heteronormative behaviors and and sort of preferences and patterns um Whereas the sort of old queer behaviours, maybe yeah. people are turning their their back on those. We, yeah. I mean, we shall see, you know, but I know, yeah. and I mean, you'll know more about this than, than me perhaps, but I know sort of young gay men who are less into the sort of open relationships and ethical non-monogamy yeah. that I first heard about through gay yeah. men. You know, gay men of sort of my generation were doing that incredibly successfully and finding yeah. that was a really good way to sort of maintain a primary partnership mm-hmm. for decades and decades and decades, you know, because yeah. there was just that real honesty about the sexual openness. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Yeah. It'd be interesting to know, maybe, I don't know if this has come up in the studies that you've looked at, and if not, there should be a study on this, whether the trend that you're talking about where there's this trend towards heteronormativity among like LGBTQ plus uh, people or couples now is actually, um, if that trend is that it's just that there are more, more people in that community, more people identifying as part of that community now. And because most people are more, kind of mainstream and more normy uh that um and they're identifying that actually the same proportion of of you know the same proportion of people are these like sex radicals and that would you know probably include me in that i would put myself in that and then um but it's just that um and so we were we are the type of the demographic within that who were always going to be out and loud and and fucking around basically out and loud and fucking around is another maybe title for this podcast but um but then it's just that because the because there's been more acceptance that there's there's more of those people who are who are more more and more sort of quote-unquote mainstream anyway identifying themselves within the community and therefore that looks like the trend is that oh there's more people are just becoming more heteronormative but actually it's just that it's because the church has gotten broader do you know what i mean like i don't know yeah um that that's an interesting way of looking at it um yeah yeah and i I think i think there there are some tensions between like you say the sort of more radical people who who've maintained the sort of queer philosophies of the past yeah. few decades. And, yeah. I mean, of course, everybody is welcome. We should absolutely welcome yeah. everyone to define yeah. themselves in whatever way they wish. But yeah. sometimes in my comedy, I sort of somewhat affectionately lampoon the the kind of straight women who <laughs> I feel kind of appropriate queerness in this rather unaware oh, okay, yeah. way. <laughs> How do you do that? That's a really tricky joke to get right. Tell me how you do that. <laughs> well, I, I just sort of talk about um, this. This, uh, I mean, I could tell she was this very privileged, kind of slightly posh woman who came up to me at one of my book launch events and um, <laughs> said, oh, "Oh, I wish I was a lesbian," because <laughs> there is, you know, <laughs> there is this idea, isn't there, that somehow amongst yeah. this sort of straight ish heteroflexible demographic that queerness is now sort of aspirational aspirational it's been far from it it's been you know people have experienced such prejudice and violence and marginalization um so to me it feels utterly jarring for somebody Mm. to say something like that it seems so unaware and un compassionate i suppose i wonder whether what she's saying there is and it's in her perspective, it's in her perception of what lesbian sex is and lesbian love and lesbian romance um, and lesbian relationships. It's all in her perspective, but for her perception, sorry. But I wonder whether what she's saying is, I want freer sex. 
Well, or she yeah, might be saying, I yeah. want better sex. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, I because I when what I say in my comedy is because she says, Oh, you know, it would be so much easier, you know, because this I there's this idea I think ah. that that straight women have it because yeah. their friendships, their platonic friendships with other straight women are just so yeah. so easy to manage and maintain okay. that somehow. Uh, you know, a romantic relationship with, between two women must somehow be really easy, which, of course, is not the case, as we see with <laughs> sky-high lesbian divorce rates, which are way, way <laughs> higher than than gay male divorce rates, which is another thing that, that I've looked at. Oh, and so wow. I kind of, you know, joke that my response to that was, uh, but have you tried scissoring? <laughs> <laughs> um, what did she say? Well, that the thing is, that isn't what I said in the actual real scenario. Okay, that's but, in the in that's my in the stand-up. in my retelling of the yeah. um, of, yeah. of this kind of episode. Um, yeah. And what's going on there with the divorce rates? Why are gay men who are married staying together more than gay women who are married? Well, I think because even though, like I say, younger men, some younger men I know are trending away from sort of open relationships i think generally historically there has been evidence of gay men being far more open to non-monogamy open partnerships um sex outside of a primary partnership and have seemed to have been able to have you know more open discussions about that whereas within the lesbian community you know until until fairly recently I think monogamy was still seen as aspirational. You know, even if you thought outside the box about who you're going to have sex with, um, Mm -hmm. somehow monogamy still seemed a concept to to grasp onto. Even if you're going to look for a woman, it was just going to be one, (laughs) apparently. Yeah. Um, And um, so, yeah. So, do you think that's the reason? Yeah, I think I think we tend to see you're blaming monogamy cycling through. Um, partnerships really quickly because they're looking yeah. for the one and that just places a huge burden on mm. that one person and yeah. so you see really just an alternative version of non-monogamy but perhaps yes. in some ways perhaps it's less less ethical because you're sort of siphoning through partners and you're having breakups you know when you promise that you're you're going to stay together forever <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, exactly yeah but I, I think I mean, it's that, just another, it's a it's an alternative strategy for incorporating variety. And historically, that's more what what lesbian women, queer women have done as opposed to have open partnerships. That makes me wonder whether there is something, I don't want to, I hesitate to say universal, but something very common within people to want to have sex with different people. And the gay men achieve it in your rubric by finding a partner and having a steady partnership, but being open to having sex with other people. And the lesbians achieve it through just cycling through (laughs) several sexual partners, um, kind of, you know, U-hauling for five minutes and then um, moving on uh, and then doing it all over again. So they're having multiple partners. Um, I mean, the jokes exist for a reason, you know. I know, I know. Because... The behaviour is is there, yeah. really. <laughs> but I, do you think that that means that there is some common trait in us all that we do want? I guess I guess I'm answering the question. Like we do want sex, and we want 
we want sex outside of boundaries, basically. We want sex outside of whatever social rules we can place or even interpersonal rules. There is something in us that wants sex outside of that. I, I think so. I mean, that's why so yeah. many people do have affairs. You know, yeah. that can feel like a freer sex. Um, the yeah. transgressive nature of that can can feel thrilling. It can feel yeah. free in some ways, even though there are even more constraints, really, because you've got to keep it a secret and you can't be found out. Yeah. But perhaps it feels less constrained than you know, having sex with your existing partner um, yeah. <laughs> when maybe, you know, to do that, you have to have sex at a certain time when, I don't know, your children have gone to bed or, <laughs> yeah, you know, that there's all kind of domestic uh, reasons why you can only have sex on a certain night of the week in a certain room or... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. It, it can very quickly stop feeling free, can't it? I know you've been looking into the psychology of love a bit. So where does love fit into this idea of free sex, do you think? Well, I see them as really, really intertwined and in some degree of tension, really. Mm -hmm. um, because if you look at what anthropologists who study love will tell you, um, someone like Helen Fisher, you know, she'll talk about the different stages of love from lust, romantic mm -hmm. love to attachment and the very different brain processes and chemicals mm -hmm. that are going on at each of those stages. And it's perfectly possible because they each involve such different areas of the brain, such different chemicals that are whizzing through the brain. It's perfectly possible to feel attached to one person, to be romantically mm -hmm drawn to another person and to feel lust, to feel sexual attraction to yeah. another person again. You know, these are different yeah. things that are, that are going on. So, it, you know, it, the, the relationship between love and sex is, is really complicated. We want it all to align very, very neatly, but mm. sometimes it, it really doesn't because we're human beings and we're, we're complex and now we live such long lives that, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we are going to relatively quickly within the space of a, a long-term marriage, a long-term partnership, move into that more companionate attached stage, where which we might, if we believe all the sort of love songs and romantic films and yeah. all of that dialogue that, that we have about, ooh, romance, ooh, you yeah. know, if we sort of get too sucked into what that's supposed to look like, we can easily mistake moving into the the sort of third stage of love, the attached stage yeah. as falling out of love when you're just falling into a different type of Oh, love. I see, yeah. Um, and there are just very different chemicals um, going on. But you won't feel that same need to, you know, just throw your partner up against the wall and um, right. have them so, right away so, as soon as so they walk in, in. So in a way, like, if that's like a just, if that's an observed phenomenon between people that researchers like the one you mentioned have observed then it kind of gets us off the hook for wanting to have sex with more people doesn't it because it it sort of removes that moral dimension there and so actually if we're off the hook morally then why are we not structuring our relationships and and uh, you know and our lives and our lifestyles around the fact of it which is that we you know that we go through these 
that this is an observable phenomenon that people go through these stages and there are times when they do want sex with a new partner. Well, I don't again know whether I don't know whether the patriarchy pays much heed to psychology and science, does it? <laughs> so why is the I mean, patriarchy fucking this up? Interestingly, a lot of the up? people researching this stuff are mm-hmm. women, are female women. scientists, right? Okay. And anthropologists who are, yeah. you know, in particular, in particular, the ones who are saying, "Look, hang on, you know, women actually crave sexual variety and romantic novelty just as much as yeah. men do, may- maybe even more." actually so <laughs> you know so maybe how, there's a reason why three quarters of heterosexual divorces are initiated by the women and why women. lesbians divorce at several times the rate of gay men maybe, maybe there's another reason as well as um you know the, yeah. the sort of arrangements that gay men might have around openness yeah. um maybe women have been hemmed in by you know as as we we mentioned sort of social expectation and sort of cultural conditioning i mean i talk about in in my book i speak about going and taking part in a sex lab experiment um, where you you know you sort of wired to the machines and your (laughs) genital arousal is being measured whilst you look at clips of erotica and uh, i mean it's a bit of a bizarre (laughs) situation i bet i don't really i mean some people have really questioned the validity of these yeah. experiments because you because know, of the method because it's quite clinical and, yeah yeah and if you're measuring yeah. lubrication or yeah. you know penis engorgement uh, yeah. and so on then are those really signs of arousal or could yeah you know could it be another sort of form of stress or something else yeah um so yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's all a little what did you bit learn to be about taken yourself? with a pinch of salt. But yeah, you know, you do find in those experiments that women, largely speaking, um, because you're sort of asked to tick boxes and kind of state and report what you find arousing or or who mm-hmm. who you find attractive from the people that you're looking at, as well as having mm-hmm. your your sort of more physical signs mm-hmm. of arousal measured, things like pupil dilation as well. Um, and you do find that women tend to have more of a disconnect between what they say they're turned on by and what they seem to be turned on by physically, whereas men have more of a connection between those things, seem to have more awareness uh, around their own sexuality. Perhaps. And do you think that that's the social conditioning again, is that that women are conditioned to have... Um, to, to see themselves as having quite a narrow uh, t- taste palette, if you like, if you like, uh, because otherwise, you know, they don't want to be seen to be a whore, right? Uh, and exactly, men are like yeah. allowed to be a lad, so therefore they're able to express that without any kind of consequences up front to say like, yeah, I like all sorts of different things, and it's these things, these things, these things, because they're rewarded for that in the same way that a woman is rewarded for um, doing the opposite. Yeah, there's certainly, you know, certainly when mm. I was growing up and at school in the 80s, there was a real cost to mm-hmm. being labelled a slut in any in yeah. any way. And, and certainly that's that's still the case. So, yeah, I mean, it was really an eye opener to me because it, it prompted me to really, you know, talk quite openly about the fact that in a pure sort of animal sexual sense, I may be more bisexual than I've really yeah. ever admitted to yeah. in terms of my sort of political, social and cultural label of yeah. 
saying that I'm a lesbian, which seemed to kind of fit in terms of the politics of the time when I came out. It was very much yeah. the era of identity politics, of sort of standing up and, and being counted. And yeah. there was, I guess, a lot of biphobia. Mm-hmm. And it somehow felt that if I came out as bisexual, which I, I did sort of very briefly <laughs> at university, um, yeah. it sort of felt like it wouldn't count in the same way yeah. because, yeah. you know, the sort of homophobes had the argument that if I was campaigning for, for equal marriage, you know, back then or speaking about it, people would say, well, well, if you're bisexual, you could marry a man anyway. But it, it's yeah. like, well, that's not the point. Maybe I'm in love with a woman and that's the, the one, that's yeah. the person. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be like telling you yeah. that you've got to marry a different man to the one that you want to marry, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine mar- wanting to marry any man, but <laughs> that's a whole other story. Um, hey, I think we should probably wrap up. Do you have anything, is there anything else that we've that we've skipped over Um in your free sex universe that you want to make sure that we get down? Well, I think also just touching on this area of the psychology of love, um, I suppose there's just the sort of broader question of how free can we ever be when there are these chemicals whizzing through our brains, there are these psychological processes happening that really do bond us to a person really quite quickly so can we ever have free sex um i mean yes casual sex exists but are both Mm. people really able to know that it would be okay not to see that person again or not to then have a committed relationship with that person because how much agency do we really have how much control do we really have over because our because our body's produce feelings yeah yeah we, <laughs> emotion yeah. is is part of the process and you know yeah. the, it's a very deliberate process to make us bond make us have families make us stay together until we see those children off into the into the world safely so yeah you know we're not sort of free of these um in some ways quite controlling you know, mechanisms that, that we have yeah. going on. The hormones. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rosie, it's been really great to speak to you. Thank you for taking the time and just, yeah, expanding my brain a little bit and my pupils. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. Let me know what you think of free sex, the idea or the podcast. Leave me a review and a star rating if you can. On social media, I'm at Adam Smith. Yes, that's Smith, but with a Z or a Z. Yeah, Smith. Mm. <laughs> it feels good in the mouth. <laughs> you can find more Aunt Nell productions on our website, auntnell.com. And on social, we're at auntnell underscore. The theme music is Trans Life by Othon. Hosted, produced and edited by Adam Smith. And the executive producer for Aunt Nell is Tash Walker. To all you loves and lovers, good night.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 